0: Well, good morning, everyone on this beautiful Wednesday morning, February 2nd year of our Lord Jesus Christ 2022. My name is Doug. I work with uh, Cross the Crown Ministries and the New Covenant School of Theology. We're coming to you live from Colorado Springs on a very cold and snowy morning. Uh, so hope wherever you are, it is a uh, it is nice and warm. Uh, Keith says, good snowy morning to all from Chesterfield, Missouri. Yes. Uh, is it uh, snowing there in uh, in Missouri as well, Keith? Uh, if you are newer around here, uh, we get together every morning, 7.30 a.m. Mountain Time, and we study the Word of God together. So we're glad that you're with us. Uh, If you're on Facebook or YouTube, I can uh, can see your comments and uh, chat. So if you have questions or comments along the way, uh, I would be happy to uh, receive those and interact with those as time allows. Uh, If you're on Twitter, sorry I can't see your comments just now, but I can follow it up later uh, if you would like. So glad you're with us today. We are beginning a new series on the Sabbath. If you have been a Christian for any time at all, I suspect that you have uh, been confronted with a challenge to your view of the Sabbath. Now, maybe some of you were raised in a church or even recently became a Christian and are being discipled in a church that uh, pretty much doesn't talk about the Sabbath. Uh, it's just not mentioned. You gather for worship on Sunday morning, and you study the Bible together and and go through sort of a typical um, contemporary pursuit of the Christian life, and the Sabbath is just not something that is discussed very much. Um, If that's you, then at some point, you are going to be confronted with those who come from a different background and a different perspective, and... Pardon me, I'm still, still fight, fighting off this, uh, this cold. Um, there are going to be those that are going to say, you know, the, the Bible says that you need to keep the Sabbath. And they're going to want to persuade you that uh, your obedience to Christ suggests that you should uh, look at the Sabbath in a certain way. On the other hand, if you are raised in that tradition, or if you're being discipled in a tradition that speaks of Sunday as the Christian Sabbath, or maybe even Saturday, we will get to that in a moment, uh, and you are taught that this is what Christians do for gathering and for worship, somewhere along the line, you are going to come across those who say, what are you talking about? Uh, The Sabbath was for the Jews. Uh, or, uh, you know, I've never heard of a Christian really having to focus on the Sabbath. The, the, the bottom line is, uh, this has been a, a controversial and hot topic in different eras of, of Christian history, church history, and you're going to bump up against someone who has a different view from you, one way or the other. And so we're going to interact with some of these, uh, some of the questions around this debate. Uh, and, and starting with the question, Are we required, are Christians required today, 2022, to keep the Sabbath? That is a perennial debate uh, in church history. And it's important. We as Christians value the word of God. We care about what the scripture says and we want to please God. Well, the Sabbath is in the Bible. So what do we do with it and how do we approach it? Uh, So that's one of the questions that we will uh, come up against. Uh, Another one is, uh, is the Sabbath to be kept on Saturday or Sunday? The vast majority of Christians today, and I would say indeed in church history, uh, those who keep the Sabbath and who encourage others to keep the Sabbath would say that Sunday is the Christian Sabbath. But there are those uh, who go by the label Seventh-day Adventists, and there are some Seventh-day Baptists who say, no, 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 the Sabbath remains on the seventh day. They would go back to Genesis 2 when God blessed and sanctified the seventh day. Not one day in seven, but the seventh day. And therefore, we should all keep the Sabbath on the seventh day, which is Saturday, now you may think <laughs> this is um, not a big deal, and in 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 uh, well, you may think it's not a big debate. If you think it's we should keep this Sabbath on Saturday, then uh, then of course you would think this is a big deal. Uh, and you know, you don't hear a whole lot of I don't at least hear a whole lot of fighting about this today. But it was brought to my attention last night. That uh, in past generations, this was a pretty heated debate. Uh, I put on Facebook that we were going to start this series today, and uh, I want to show you a comment that I, uh, I just on, on Facebook that I find just wonderful. Um, so, Doris Goman Sanfor- Stanford put this on uh, in response to my announcement that we were going to start this study this morning. Uh, she said, Here, if by Sabbath debate you mean Saturday versus Sunday, An ancestor of mine caused a church split back in New Jersey in the 1600s over the same question. There's a middle school in Piscataway, New Jersey, that takes its name from that squabble. And here's the name of the school, Quibbletown Middle School. No, I'm not making this up. <laughs> and I read that about five o'clock this morning, and that made me laugh out loud. That was great. So I'm thinking maybe uh, I could borrow that uh, that label and we could change the name of our ministry from Cross to Crown Ministries to uh, to Quibbletown Ministries, or maybe our school changed the name to the Quibbletown <laughs> School of Theology. I don't know why that tickles me so much, but that is funny. But there was apparently such a big debate about this back in the 1600s that <laughs> a church split over it and this uh this town is now known at least in part for the quibbling well it is a big deal in many circles if uh, if you take the view that God's law requires Christians to keep the Sabbath if that's your perspective on things then this is something to to divide about or at least it could elevate to that Right? because if you're convinced this is a command of God, we, we don't look at the commands of God uh, casually. We must not look at God's commands casually and cavalierly and think, uh, you know, it would be nice if we took if we obeyed." But you know, we don't have to obey. No, Jesus is King. Jesus is Lord. God is our Creator, and whatever He commanded for us, we need to strive for obedience. It matters. And so to just blow off a command is not something that a Christian does. You remember what Jesus said? If you love me, you will keep my commandments. Notice he didn't say, if you love me, you should keep my commandments. He said, no, if you love me, you will. What's he saying there? Love for Jesus is not some sentimental, emotional, feel-good kind of thing. It's not just, you know, Jesus makes my heart go pitter-patter. No, he's saying, those who love me, it is, it is now part of who they are. It is their nature. It is the outworking of that love that we keep his commandments. We obey him as our Lord and King. So if he commands us to keep the Sabbath, then Christians cannot simply have a uh, a ca- casual attitude toward that. So it, it is an important question, and you can see why churches over the over the centuries have uh, have split over this, and uh, why Christians divide over it. Because it, it for some, it, this is uh, well, for all of us, we should take it seriously, and it's it's uh, something that uh, uh, we think all Christians should should follow along. All right. So that's uh, that's one of the questions: is uh, is the Sabbath to be kept on Saturday or Sunday? Another question is, what are we to do on the Sabbath? If we conclude that, yes, the Sabbath is a requirement for, for all Christians, then we have to answer the question, what does that mean? What are we to do on the Sabbath? Now, if you are someone who has uh, been influenced uh, to to keep the Sabbath, if that is your your background, then probably you have heard... The Sabbath is described mostly in terms of worship. That seems to be the predominant view, the predominant expectation of Christians on the, on the positive side, on, on what you are to do positively, and that is to set aside time for worship. So the idea is that Sunday is the Christian Sabbath, and we are to gather together and worship the Lord on the Sabbath day. That is the, the main function. Uh, that leads to another question that is important as you read the scripture on uh, what the Bible has to say about the Sabbath. What are we not to do on the Sabbath? As you read through the Old Testament, especially in the Pentateuch and Exodus and Leviticus and Deuteronomy, and you, you see how the law of Moses laid out the Sabbath day, you see that there were severe Uh, consequences to violating the Sabbath. And what was expected was that people didn't do their vocational work or their occupational labor. If you were a farmer, you didn't farm. If you were a carpenter, you didn't build houses. Uh, you, You stayed home and you were forbidden to do your work on the Sabbath. And again, the consequences are severe. It's a capital crime, at least in Jewish categories, to break the Sabbath. So as Christians, we have to wrestle with this. If, if we're commanded to keep the Sabbath, what are we not allowed to do on the Sabbath day? And then are there consequences? Uh, are there uh, severe punishments? Now, most people, would say even the most stringent Sabbatarians most would say uh, it's no longer a capital crime. At least the church should not uh, should not bring capital punishment to a Sabbath breaker. Some might argue that the state should, that the government should take the commands of the Old Testament and apply them uh, to every civil uh, authority, and that the the, the government should. Uh, bring capital punishment on Sabbath breakers. That's a minority view, but there have been some who espouse that. But we do have to wrestle the question, what are we forbidden to do and what are the consequences? Is it church discipline? Is it excommunication? And and how do we define those boundaries and expectations on the Sabbath? Another question, is Sabbath keeping a creation ordinance binding on all men for all time? when we read the scripture, when you read the Old Testament, the word Sabbath does not occur until Exodus chapter 16. And it's given to Israel as part of the law, the expectations that God has for the nation of Israel. So as you're just reading it, it it seems like the Sabbath didn't exist prior to Exodus. And we know there was a whole lot of history prior to Exodus. And that now God brings this command on this nation of Israel. And so the question comes, well, then why would anybody expect non-Jews to keep the Sabbath? Whether it was non-Jews of Moses' day, or if you go back prior to the law, prior to the giving of God's commands on Sinai. You know, does Abraham, was he required to keep the Sabbath? Uh, And then what about modern day? Are we expected to keep the Sabbath? And if so, how do we justify that if the Sabbath was given to Israel? And part of the answer to that question is that those who believe that we should all keep the Sabbath, they would say, no, it, w- it was not originated in Exodus 16 or Exodus 20 at the giving of the law to the Israelites. They would say, the Sabbath is a creation ordinance, and by that, they mean God gave the Sabbath in the very beginning. And it was expected, it was a, it was a command, an ordinance given to all mankind at the very beginning, uh, similar to the way we look at marriage, right? The, the first man, first woman were created, and they were given this institution, this relationship, this this covenant, if you will, of marriage, and it's expected that this is the normal situation for men and women throughout all of history uh, that men and women are to get married. And we see this practiced in, uh, in virtually every culture. Some sort of marriage where husbands and wives, men and women, come together together in this relationship and that is the foundation for the family and so on. And so they would look at that and say that is a creation mandate or a creation ordinance. This is the expected situation for men and women, get married, have children, form a family. In a similar way, they would say that when God blessed and sanctified the seventh day, that that is a an expectation that all man, now mankind, would set aside the seventh day and worship him, because that's the way God established the the rules, if you will, the the, the order for mankind at creation. Now, I mentioned these categories of Seventh Day Adventists and Seventh Day uh, Baptists, and they look at the creation mandate, which pretty much everybody who who believes in an ongoing Christian Sabbath would appeal back to Genesis two and the, and the The creation ordinance there. The Seventh day Adventists and Seventh day Baptists, they look at that command as they see it in uh, in Genesis 2, and they push back on the other Sabbatarians who say we are to worship on the first day of the week, on Sunday, and they would say to them, What is the justification for transferring uh, the Sabbath? to the first day of the week. You see the point? So you have have two groups of Sabbatarians, two groups of folks who say we should keep the Sabbath. Uh, the, the (coughs) The minority view is that we should keep the Sabbath on the seventh day. The majority view is that we should keep the Sabbath on Sunday, on the first day of the week. Both groups appeal back to Genesis 2 where God blessed and sanctified the seventh day and set this expectation that men worship him on the seventh day, that we, we set aside that day and we, we rest from our vocation and we worship. So you've got two groups appealing back to Genesis 2 to say, yes, keep the Sabbath. And the, the seventh day groups, the Adventists and the seventh day Baptists, they look at the, the rest, which again is the majority, and they say, well, wait a minute. You are agreeing with us that that God instituted the Sabbath day, that it is a day of rest and a day of worship, but you have transferred that day of rest and worship from the seventh day to the first day of the week, from Saturday to Sunday. God blessed and consecrated not one day in seven, not Pick a day, but he worked six days. He, He created for six days. And then, the scripture is pretty clear, he blessed and sanctified the seventh day. Therefore, if we are going to hold to a Sabbath based on Genesis 2, it needs to be the seventh day. So on what basis do you all Transfer that day of rest and worship from the seventh day to the first day of the week to Sunday. And of course, uh, those who hold to the first day Sabbath, they have answers. They have they have a response to that. But it is a legitimate question. It's a good question. Okay, so let's let's back up a little bit. <coughs> Why is there such a divergence of opinion? on this question. So the, you know there's there's sort of three groups. There's the the group that say yes, keep the Sabbath on the seventh day. There's the group that says yes, keep the Sabbath but on the first day. And then there's a a group that says no, we don't have to keep a Sabbath. Jesus is our Sabbath. Uh, the way we keep the Sabbath is to worship and honor Jesus, to rest in the work of Jesus. Now, why is it that Christians who, who seek truth, who love the Lord, why is it that we would come to very different views of what the Bible says about the Sabbath? Well, that's a that's a big question. And uh, it, it, we could spend weeks and weeks on this. But I, I want to help at least frame the question this way, to help us see uh, a little bit of how we come to different conclusions. And then that will set up how we're going to proceed in this series in evaluating what the scripture says about this. So um, let me back up. We are all theologians. And, and what I'm about to get into is going to be a little bit technical, but uh, you, you need to understand this. Every Christian is a theologian. Theology is simply the study of God. And we are told to know God. This is eternal life, the scripture says, to know God and know Jesus, the Messiah, whom he has sent. We are commanded over and over again, know the Son of God. Grow in our knowledge of the Son of God. Well, how do you know anything? You know things by studying. Everything you know, you know because you've studied. It could be an informal uh, study through experience and rote, or it can be a dedicated study, but we study. I tell husbands this all the time. You're commanded to know your wife. Well, how can you know her? (laughs) How can you know her better? You have to study her. You have to study uh, her thoughts and her feelings and her actions and her responses and and spend time investigating her so you can know her better, so you can love her better. Well, that's the same, same thing in our knowledge of God and our knowledge of Christ. We have to study him and study his word. And, and how do we go about studying? Well, in anything that we dive into with intentionality, there are, uh, there are two, two tools that we use fundamentally. And even if you've never heard of these tools before, uh, you'll get it as we, as we go through. The, uh, the fundamental tools of theology are these two. One is analysis. The word analysis means etymologically, it means to unloose right we we take a, a section a passage of the bible and we unloose it from the bible and we study it we look over it and we we search out to figure out what it means but then after we've done that with that particular passage we do what's called synthesis we place it back into something you know what i mean so so if you're you know we we just finished a study on philippians and you take that passage in Philippians and you pull it out and you examine it, but then you you fit fit it back into something. Uh, analysis is is the exegesis; it's unloosing the passage uh, for the purpose of understanding its meaning. And then the synthesis is is interpretation. Uh, what do we do with this that we've learned? How do we put this back into a picture of something? Let me let me illustrate it this way. Uh, think of a um, electric train set, okay? So you've got a, a train with a uh, with a, a an engine and a caboose and then a bunch of cars in between. And you you want to learn and study and know this this train. Well, so you, you pick up a car and you look at it and you examine it and, and you see that they're they're different. Uh, the engine, has the you know the the um, the windows and it has the the long uh, front end <laughs> using very very technical terms here and the caboose looks a certain way and then you got all these cars in the in the middle and some of the red and some are black and some are green and and some have you know coal in them and some have steel some have people in them all those kind of things and so you pull out these cars and you examine them but then what do you put them back where do you put them back to to look at the whole um, There are basically two different approaches to the synthesis piece of theology. Uh, You you take a, a car up and you look at it, and there is what is called biblical theology, and another discipline is called systematic theology. Systematic theology, and this is what most of you are most familiar with, I expect, even if you've never heard the terms, even if you don't think about systematic theology, this is the way most Christians are taught to study. You you look at the Bible and you see it as a set of doctrines that the Bible is given to us to reveal God, to reveal his attributes, uh, to reveal what he thinks about sin, to reveal what he thinks about salvation to reveal his glory, and, and so on. And so uh, systematic theology creates a, s- a series of systematic headings, of doctrinal headings, uh, things like theology proper, and Christology, which is the study of Christ, and uh, Soteriology, which is the study of salvation, and Pneumatology, which is the study of the Spirit, and Ecclesiology, which is the study of the church, and, and on and on. And so you, you take out a passage of scripture and you examine and you look at it that's the analysis and then you synthesize it you put it back into a group under one of these headings so when it comes to the sabbath it's usually put under the heading of worship so the idea is god wants us to worship him and he's going to teach us how to worship him in his bible that's why he's given us the scripture to know this so we're going to read everything we can in the scripture that has something to do with worship. We're going to pull out any of those individual passages and analyze them, look look them through. Then we're going to place them over here under this heading, this category of worship. And the Sabbath fits into the category of worship. So we pull together all that the scripture says about the Sabbath and we put it in this category of worship worship. And we establish our doctrine of worship. And we see that God wanted the people of Israel to worship on the Sabbath day. And therefore, the new covenant people of God, the church, we also should worship on the Sabbath day. But we see that the Christians in the New Testament seemed to gather on the first day of the week. So under our doctrine, our heading of worship, we see the, the, these passages that we analyze, that we unloose in the New Testament that says they gathered on the first day of the week, and the conclusion is drawn that the Sabbath has now transitioned to the first day of the week. Do you see that? Let me give you an example of this from the Westminster Confession of Faith. This is the, the foundational document, or at least one of the, the foundational documents for the Presbyterian Church in America, and many other Reformed groups hold to the Westminster Confession as, uh, as sort of the, the authorized interpretation of the scripture. So here's what the Westminster Confession says, and the, um, the uh, Baptist Confession of 1689 says virtually the same thing. So <laughs> here it is. This is chapter 21. As it is of the law of nature, that in general, a due proportion of time be set apart for the worship of God, comma, semicolon, like, stop there for a moment. It is of the law of nature. So as they read the scripture, as they as they thought through this in the 17th century, nature reveals to us that God expects mankind to set time apart for worship see that that's the uh, that's the expectation here that's that's just natural law that is that is sort of common to all of us so we, we we just know this inherently it's part of the law written on our hearts they would argue uh set aside time to worship god it it, it again it fits under this category of worship so in his word in the scripture by a positive, you know, positively stated, it's stated out there for us to read, moral and perpetual commandment binding on all men in all ages, he, that is God, hath particularly appointed one day in seven for a Sabbath. So you see what they're doing. As they examine the scriptures teaching on worship, they see that God has appointed one particular day for worship, one day out of seven in a week, and, and it's the Sabbath day. It's to be kept holy unto him, to set it apart for him. Which, the Sabbath day, from the beginning of the world to the resurrection of Christ, so from Adam to Jesus, was the last day of the week, the seventh day. The Sabbath day, as is, is the Old Testament has it. And from the resurrection of Christ, so since Jesus, was changed into the first day of the week, which in scripture is called the Lord's day and is to be continued to the end of the world as the Christian Sabbath. So you see what they're doing here. They're saying the the law of nature inherent in all of us is we, we know we're to set aside a time to worship God. They look at the scripture and examine it cover to cover and say, okay, the day that we're to set aside is called the Sabbath. In the Old Testament, prior to Christ, it was the, sixth, or the seventh day of the week. Now, since Christ, it is the Lord's day, the first day of the week, and that is what we are to do going forward. Uh, they go on and they say, this Sabbath is to be kept holy unto the Lord when men after a due preparing of their hearts. So we, we set aside the, the Sabbath and we prepare our hearts. And the proper ordering of their common affairs beforehand, so before you enter this time and space of worship on on Sunday, the Sabbath, they do not only observe a holy rest all the day from their own works, their own words, and their own thoughts about their worldly employments and recreations. So on, on this day, on the Sabbath day, this day of rest, you are to observe this holy day, but you rest from works, you rest from the words and thoughts about your employment, your occupation. Again, if you're a if you're a carpenter, you you stop thinking about carpentry. You don't do carpentry, you don't you don't let your mind go there. And recreations. So your hobbies, your 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 pleasures, maybe your you know football <laughs> and that kind of thing. You set all that aside, but also so that so you rest from those things, but also you're taking up the whole time in the public and private exercises of his worship, and in the duties of necessity and mercy. So doctors, for instance, their duties are necessary and mercy. And pastors, they would argue, their du- duties are necessary and merciful. So Doctors and pastors <laughs> can perform their employment on Sunday because they are required. But for everyone else, you just set aside your occupation and your recreations and instead devote all of your time to public and private worship. So that's one example of, of where uh, those who hold to a, a Sabbath day requirement uh, do systematic theology and uh, place the Sabbath under this category of worship. The other discipline, the other approach to Scripture, is called biblical theology. Now, that doesn't mean simply uh, theology that comes from the Bible. Everybody, every Christian would say their theology comes from the Bible. But it's a specific way of looking at the Scripture in that synthesis part where you, you unloose, you, you take a passage out and you examine it, but then how do you put it back? What do you put it back into? What, what's the, how, do, how do you look at the framework of, of Scripture? Biblical theology says, put simply, that the Bible was not given to us as a systematic theology, that, that the primary purpose of the Scripture is not to reveal God abstractly, uh, not to reveal simply the attributes of God and the, uh, the, the categories of the doctrines that, that systematic theology views, but the, the main message of Scripture is the story of Jesus, that, that we're to read the Bible first and format, foremost as the revelation of Christ, the, the history of redemption, from Genesis through Revelation, the beginning to end, Jesus is the Alpha and Omega. Everything in the scripture is about Christ. And that as we put passages back into the text, back into the framework, we're to, to examine them and then put them back, not under theological headings, but to see how does this fit in the story of Jesus? What does this tell me about Christ. What does this tell me about the gospel? What does this tell me about the kingdom of Jesus Christ? And uh, as you may have gathered here, uh, I'm an adherent of, of biblical theology. I believe that is how we're supposed to do theology. I believe that is what the Bible itself says to do in theology. Uh, let me show you very quickly here as, we're, as our time is, is running out. Let me show you Jesus himself taught this. In John's Gospel, chapter five, he says this as he's rebuking the Jewish leaders of his day. He says, You search the scriptures because you think that in them, and he's here, the scriptures will be the Old Testament. The New Testament hadn't been written yet. So he's describing the Old Testament. He says, You guys, you Jews, you search the Old Testament because you think that in, in them you have eternal life. You you will find eternal life in the Old Testament. Notice what he says here. It is these, these scriptures that testify about me. Jesus himself is saying the Old Testament scriptures point to him, point to Jesus. You remember when Jesus was on the road to Emmaus and he encounters some disciples that, uh, that don't realize that who they're talking to is the risen Jesus, the risen Lord. And Jesus has some strong words of rebuke for these men. And here's what he says. He says, oh, foolish men, calls them foolish, these disciples, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary for the Christ, the Messiah, to suffer these things and to enter his glory? In other words, Jesus is saying, as you studied the Old Testament, the prophets, you should have known the prophets were about the Messiah. And the prophets taught that the Messiah would have to suffer and die and rise again to enter his glory. And then notice what he says here. Then beginning with Moses, that would be Genesis through Deuteronomy, and all the prophets, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Daniel, all all the way through, he explained to them the things concerning himself in all the scriptures. See what Jesus is doing there? He's saying, the Bible is about, about me. It's all about me. Everything was leading up to the death and resurrection of Jesus and his ascension and his reign and rule right now. So biblical theology says, as we find the Bible's teaching on the Sabbath, we're not supposed to take them out and then put them back under these categories of worship, primarily. But we're to say, how does the Bible's teaching on the Sabbath reveal Jesus, the Messiah, and his gospel, and his kingdom? So what we're going to do in this series, in the upcoming days, is we are going to trace what the Bible says about the Sabbath and show how the Sabbath points to Christ. Because Moses, who both in Genesis and Exodus taught on the Sabbath, and he wrote about Jesus. That's what Jesus said. We're going to see how it points to Jesus, and then we will come back and answer those questions. What are we as Christians to do with the Sabbath? So I hope you will join us. Uh, if you have questions along the way, uh, you can put them in the comments and in the chat, and uh, I will answer them as is appropriate, and or uh, what I'm thinking is that after we go through the series at the end, we may do an entire session just as a Q&A. So if you're interested in that, let me know, and, uh, and we will do that. And again, feel free to ask questions as we go. Uh, thanks for joining us. Have a great day. Grace and peace to you in the Lord, and we will see you back here tomorrow morning.